I want to tell you, uh, I love Christmas. I love this day. It is finally here when we remember the birth of Jesus that we believe was the Messiah, the anointed one that had been prophetically told about for a thousand years or more, that he was born into the world at a particular moment in time that God planned so many ways for so many different people to connect with him, that he redeemed and saved us that we might live eternally with God in heaven, experience the glory that we sang about, that one day we're going to see him face to face and he's going to wipe every tear away from this suffering in this life. And I want to tell you today, if you are new here and you're new to church experience or you got drug here today, I got to stop using the word. I don't mean like you were drugged and made to come here. I mean, you were brought along. I want to tell you that I used to be like that as a kid growing up and even a teenager. I hated coming on Christmas Eve. My parents always made me. All I could think about was what I was going to open that night for Christmas or because uh, we were a weird family did on Christmas Eve. There's something wrong with us spiritually, but... Uh, you know, but for some of you, you're thinking about Christmas morning and all of the uh, fun things that you're going to do and cookies and all that. But I want to tell you uh, that what we're going to share today, I think could be the most important thing that you could experience in your life. And that's been my story. My story has been experiencing the love that God has for me is incredible. It changed everything in my life over the last 20 years. And that's what I want to share with you. Our theme verse is John 3:16. You've probably heard it before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want to tell you that I really believe that. The word love there, by the way, in the Greek, it's agape love. It means unconditional love. Regardless of the things that you did this last month that you're embarrassed and ashamed of and feel guilt over regardless of the baggage of your past, that he unconditionally loves you. So he sent his only son, that the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, into the world is actually good news for us. In fact, one of the things I love about Christmas now, as a parent, I get to give gifts to my kids. And I'm so excited that they finally get to open their presents and experience all that joy. If my kids are watching online, all the boxes under the tree, though, are a bunch of chores to do, so get ready to open those real soon. The truth is, we love giving gifts to our kids because we want them to know how much we care and we love for them. Not in a consumeristic way, but we just want them to know how much we care for them. And I want to tell you that your Father in heaven, his love for you is far greater than any love any human being will ever give you. It radically changed my life receiving his love. In fact, in Luke chapter 2 that we've been studying as a church, it says when Jesus was born that it was good news that brought great joy for all the well-behaved people. Nah, good news with great joy for all people. That means that the love of your heavenly Father is even for you, even if you've done this and rejected him your entire life. He desires for you to receive his love. And that's what I want to share that's what I want to talk about. Are you ready to study God's Word together, church? Come on. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2. And see, what I love about the greatest love story ever told, when Jesus is born into the world, that it's for all people, he presents himself into all different people groups. First, Luke 2 that I read, that's the angel shows up to the shepherds. The shepherds were the social outcasts that lived with the animals outside of the city. Weren't really high on the class uh, level. In fact, He presents himself to the shepherds. 
even to this teenage couple, Mary and Joseph, that they, he's going to take care of them when they travel from Nazareth in the difficult trek to Bethlehem to be born because of a census the Roman emperor is taking. He doesn't just present himself to this young teenage couple and the shepherds in the field. He also presents himself to the atheistic, agnostic, intellectual, occult-like people known as the Magi. How many of you remember the Magi? I don't think, like, no one? You've never heard of the Magi? Okay, okay, seven. That's great. Good. We're going to educate people. I I love the story of the Magi. You might know them as the wise men. But let's look at what Scripture actually teaches. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Stop for a second. I'm going to come back to Bethlehem. It's really significant that Jesus, the Messiah, is born there. It goes on. It says, During the time of King Herod. He was a provincial ruler who the Roman emperor oversaw. He was just kind of like a customary king, but he didn't want to give up power, so he doesn't want a Messiah to be born. And it says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah, which just means anointed one, was to be born. Little side note, Messiah is the Hebrew for anointed one. Christ is the Greek. It's referring to the promised one who is going to be the savior and redeemer of humankind. Verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Then it quotes the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now, here's the depth of God's love, his foresight, his ability to tell a story. He presents the birth of Jesus to all kinds of different people groups. But he chooses Bethlehem of where the Messiah would be born that he had told through a prophet hundreds of years earlier, that that was the place that would be born. Also, Micah, a different prophet, said a king would come from Bethlehem. Also, in Bethlehem, it means, literally, Bethlehem means house of bread. Anybody doing a no-carb diet? want to go to Bethlehem. (laughs) Jesus called himself, in the Gospel of John, the what? The bread of life. The house of bread where Jesus would be born. And final thing, The Passover that was celebrated in Jewish customs when all the sin of humanity would be forgiven because of the sacrifice of this lamb without defect. Do you know where they would get that lamb? Bethlehem. Scholars agree that's where they grew the the lambs that would be slain at the Passover in Jerusalem. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Not a once a year sacrifice anymore, but a once and for all giving of his life that anybody, no matter your past, can draw near to a perfect God. When you read this little thing about Bethlehem, you realize the significance. Anybody have to question whether or not God loves you enough that he presented a clear story to all different people groups that you could see the good news of Jesus is not just for the well-behaved people, it is for you. Well, it's going to radically change your life. It did for me. I want to talk about that. The last two verses here. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him which is, of course, a lie. He wants to make sure this Messiah doesn't live. 
and he will not succeed. Today, I wanna tell you, if you wanna receive the love of God, that you're gonna have to risk some things in your life. You're gonna have to realize that the time is now, and you're gonna have to let him totally ruin and wreck your life. That's what we're gonna discuss. Will you pray with me? God, we just pause in the incredible, beautiful, joy-filled nature of this season and acknowledge your presence with us right now. God, these words were passed down for thousands of years that you might speak to us in this particular moment. And so I pray, Jesus, for those who are Christians and those who are not here together or online, that we might hear exactly what you want to share with us. We acknowledge your presence and we surrender this afternoon to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen. Anybody ever been in love before? Just a few of you, not that many at this service. I have some counseling later. Some of you are like, I've been in love like 17 times. I'm always in love. I want to tell you, you know, one of the things that love does is it changes you. You behave differently, right? Like the, the most like beefed up football linebacker, six foot five, 250, all, all of a sudden he can be the softest teddy bear in the world when he's in love. Same is true for uh, people in all different backgrounds. Love changes, the love for our kids changes. When I met my wife, some of you know the story, but it was like instant for me, not for her, but for me. And I went home, and I'm not making this up, <laughs> I wrote a song about her eyes. I don't write songs. She reminds me I've never written a song since, but it changed me. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I just, uh, do you guys want to hear the song this, this afternoon? I'm not going to sing it because I want you to have a good Christmas. But if you're good, I might share a little bit with you later. I didn't mean to all afternoon at the last service they made me. So we'll see. But I want to tell you, I went to the coffee shop. It was all of a sudden everything changed. And before I knew it, I was like, oh, my goodness. I, I, I actually proposed to her. I didn't have any money. I was a youth pastor at the time. And I got my brother to give me free tickets to take her to New York City and propose in Central Park. I was like, I was in love, and I wanted the world to know it. The depth of God's love is far greater for you than any romantic love you will ever experience on this planet. He knows every hair on your head. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. And his love for you is so overwhelming, he will chase Jonah down. He will chase down everyone in the New Testament and he will keep pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing you until you decide whether you wanna receive the love of God or not. And that's really what Christmas was all about. See, in the beginning of creation, God walked the garden in the Adam and Eve uh, with Adam and Eve. And yet, because of their uh, sin, the rebellion, uh, they were separated from God, but he didn't give up. He, he actually gave them the, the Ark of the Covenant, and his presence would reside with the people of Israel. He said, you'll be my people, and I'll be your God. And yet, they rebelled, and he didn't give up. He sent the prophets, and they didn't listen. So he sent his only son, because he's on a love mission to get you to receive the love that he has for you. So I want to share with you, in a short time that we got, how to actually receive the love of God like the Magi, these atheistic, agnostic people from the East. And the first thing you're going to have to do this Christmas to receive the love of God is risk it. You're going to have to risk it. Now, let me tell you, this isn't what people normally tell you at Christmas 
about the good news of Jesus. We usually say it's this great free gift. It's gonna make your life fantastic. You should receive it right now. And I wanna tell you, I believe that's, partial, that's half of the truth. The other truth is it's gonna change you. That the Magi had to risk their social capital, their financial resources. They had to, to risk their families and even their lives in order to be there after the birth of Jesus and see and experience his love for them. Look with me. In verse 1, it said, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and came to worship him. First thing, uh, it says Magi from the east. You ever hear of the three wise men before, historically kind of three diverse uh, ethnically men? Uh, it doesn't actually say that anywhere in the Bible. We associate it with three men because they uh, brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it just says that there was magi from the east, most likely a caravan of intellectual people known as magi. It's where we get the word magic from. Philo, a first century historian, referred to the magi as a cult-like people who studied the stars, who he referred to as vipers and scorpions. These were the agnostics that had everything figured out. They were intelligent, and they didn't believe in God, and they certainly didn't believe in the Jewish God or the birth of the Messiah, and yet they're studying the stars of the sky, and it points them to the birth of Jesus. See, God has a way of getting to all of us. When I first became a Christian, I was far from God, and I remember I would just be laying in my bed at night, and all of a sudden I would remember a song or remember a quote from a book or something I saw in a movie, and it was like God was speaking to me through that. He pursues the Magi, and they're going to have to risk everything to travel from the east to the west. And I don't know when we got the idea that uh, science is in contradiction with faith. Uh, Nothing could be further from the truth. Many of the great scientists throughout human history were actually believed in God. In fact, Albert Einstein said, a legitimate conflict between science and religion cannot exist. Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. Copernicus, Galileo, Johannes Kepler, all three of those believed in God. In fact, one of my personal favorites, Sir James Simpson, who was the founder of anesthesiology. How many of you are glad when you go for surgery for Sir James Simpson? He said, and it's not going to be on the screen, but I quote, the most important discovery I ever made is when I discovered Jesus Christ. Francis Collins, the uh, scientist today, he was uh, head of the Human Genome Project, a devout Christian. I want to tell you that some of the greatest uh, scientists throughout human history have actually come from a place of faith and even faith in Jesus These magi who were far from God are studying the stars and God reaches out in an astronomical way to them. And they have to risk everything to head west to leave their family and their friends behind who aren't gonna understand anything that they're doing. They're not Jewish. They don't know these traditions. They don't even know what Messiah is. They come west. They come to a land where they don't know anybody. When the caravan comes to Jerusalem, it's not like Jerusalem at that time is big enough that people aren't gonna notice who are these people in town? It's a risky maneuver. And then when they go to the smaller town outside of Jerusalem known as Bethlehem in an elevated rough terrain place, you have to realize that they were risking everything just to come and bring gifts to a a Jewish savior that they knew nothing about before seeing a star in the sky. 
The depth of God's love for every person here and around the globe is enormous, but we're going to have to risk it to receive it, to put ourselves out there. And I know what some of us historically would say that, hey, I would love to experience the, the, the joy of Christmas and, and be a Christian, but I'm just not one of those good people. I will never be like that. Well, I want to tell you two things. First, a little side note. Uh, historically, have you guys ever heard of the Epiphany? The Epiphany is uh, celebrated on January 5th or 6th that were to remember the Magi that came after the birth of Jesus to worship him with these gifts. That's where we get the phrase, the 12 days of Christmas from. A uh, little another side context. Also, historically, it's bad luck to leave your Christmas decorations up more than 12 days after Christmas. How many of you are going to break that this year? Anybody in here, you're like a Valentine's Day person? We're going, we're going, okay, we're going to pray for just a couple of people here. Now, I love Christmas decorations too. I love to leave them up because I love celebrating and seeing the joy of Christmas and remember what he's done for us. And some of us are afraid to experience that type of joy in our life because it might mean that things have to change. It might mean, well, what, I don't want to change my life. I want to change things. I don't want to change the way I do my work. I don't want to change the way I live with integrity or not. I want to tell you, there are valid concerns you may have to risk it and experience the love of Christ. But Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. He says, if I make the flowers in the field so beautiful, if I dress the lilies with such splendor, how much more am I going to take care of you, the greatest creation I've ever had? It's the only thing in the, the Genesis story that was very good was the creation of humankind. His agape, unconditional love is for you. And if you say, but I don't, I've got all these things, and if I followed him, it would mean life change. Yeah, it would, but I want to tell you, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made with your life. I did it over 20 years ago as a frat guy who wanted nothing to do with God, who was doing everything contrary to following Jesus, and somebody told me the good news, and I was like, nah, that's for you, that's not for me, because this is the way I live, and I don't want to change. But I risked it and surrendered, and I want to tell you, it's the greatest life-changing moment in my life ever. And because of it, I've got to see God show up over the last two decades. And you were created for more than just a nine to five and some fun weekends and a vacation or two. You were created on purpose and for a purpose, but you got to be willing to risk it, your social capital, every aspect of your life to experience Jesus' love. And then number two, you have to realize it, to realize that the time is now. The Magi had a choice, right? Look at, look at verse seven with me. It says, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. They had left at a particular moment in time when the star appeared so that they could be there right after the birth. They could have very easily said, hey, we saw the star. Let's wait a few months, get our things together. Maybe we'll pray about it some. We will save up for the journey. We will make some friends first in this other country. They didn't do any of that. They just left it, they risked it all, they went there because they had to go then if they wanted to be there for the birth of the Savior. And I find for some of us, we will put off so many things in our life that have eternal implications and prioritize so many things in our life that do not. 
I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself. But this Christmas, if you turn when into now and experience and receive the love of Jesus, if you risk it, I'm telling you, it will be the greatest decision that you have ever made. This life is short, though. Psalm 39, 4 and 5 says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those that seem secure. It says life is like breath. It's here one day and gone the next. And the last two years has certainly sown us that. People battling illnesses and even cancer in our church family. That life is fragile. That this is just a dot on a very long line of eternity. And just like the Magi, we have a choice of whether to keep putting off these eternal choices and thoughts and pursuit of faith or not, and and instead choose the consumeristic things that we have right in front of us. And I want to tell you, like Craig Rochelle says it this way, it gives us three challenges when thinking about the brevity of life. Turn when into now when it comes to following Jesus. Turn intentions into actions and turn your whole heart toward Jesus. I told you I used to be brought to services like this and didn't want to come. And I'll never forget when I finally had my life, I received the love of Christ and my life had changed everything. And people were like, what's wrong with you? And, and it didn't make my life better, actually, initially. It actually made my life worse, which is the third point I want to share with you. And we don't talk about this very often in suburban, consumeristic, American, hold the latte Christianity. Too much? Uh, we, we don't want to tell you the other side of this, that when you receive so much love that you can't handle, it changes you so dramatically that you will go and live differently because of it. Look what happens to the Magi. It didn't make their lives better. It made their lives harder. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen where it rose ahead of them and, until it stopped over the place where the child was born in Bethlehem. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. These agnostic, intellectual, occult-like people from the East were overjoyed at the birth of the Jewish Messiah. The depth of God's love, his plan, and his uh, providence over uh, humankind is incredible. And you can keep running away, and he will keep pursuing you until our last breath because of the depth of his love. But we have to turn to him and to receive it. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they get this. These people that knew nothing about this bowed down and worshiped him. Because of the experience of that moment, their only response was to submit and to worship him as Lord. And because of that, then they did this. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They had brought with them their most valuable possessions and said, I, I give up everything. And not just that, verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So let's get this straight. 
They're studying the stars in the sky because of their intellectual prowess. They see it and they say, there's something different here. There must be a king being born. They leave all their friends and family behind who aren't understanding why they're leaving. And they're definitely not going to understand their experience when they come back. They grow through the rough travel across desert and up into mountainous terrain only to go to a king that they don't know who is actually wants to kill this person that they've come to see, who they then leave him, go to Bethlehem, give up those most valuable possessions only to have that king now want to kill them so they have to take the long way home. When they encountered the birth of Jesus, it wrecked their life in the greatest way possible. When they experienced the depth of his love for them and made that choice to pursue him regardless, it changed everything for them. And it changed everything for me because love makes you do crazy things, doesn't it? Some of you because you love your child so much, if there was a train coming, you would push him out of the way and dive in front of that in a second. I, I told you I wrote a song when I first met my wife. I actually sang it to her at our wedding in front of hundreds of people. Now, I don't mind singing, but I've been told not to do it. But I, I will share with you the words in that moment just to embarrass myself to show you love makes you do crazy things. I saw my wife and her eyes reminded me of this beautiful picture of London in the rain I had seen one time. I know it's weird. And so I wrote this song and it goes like this. <coughs> I usually have instrumentation here, but I'll, it goes like this. I caught a glimpse of beauty. Her eyes were dripping wet. She was crying tears of joy on the day we never met. I caught a glimpse of beauty. She smiled and made me cry. Her radiance left me wanting for days gone by. I caught a glimpse of beauty. I stood and I watched her dance as she melted down that picture, dreaming of a second chance. Oh, I'll never be old if I drink that magic light. I feel her warmth pressing down all around. Take me from this cold, dark hell, this loveless tomb of emptiness. Pour out your magic light and remind the stars of what it means to be bright with your magic eyes of light. Now, I don't normally do stuff like that, but love makes you do crazy things. It's why anybody that watches musicals, not really my thing, but if it's your thing, the reason it's so popular, there's so much emotion welled up, they break into song. I want to tell you that the love of your heavenly father is so great for you that he sent his one and only son and he made a way that the shepherds could draw near, the teenage couple who's struggling could draw near, that the atheistic, ag agnostic, occult-like intellectuals from the east would see a star in the sky, travel hundreds of miles, risk everything just to be there for the birth of Jesus and to worship him. If he would do that for those gentlemen, what would he do for you? If he clothes the lilies with all of the splendor and cares about the, every animal and all of creation, the great uh, created order, if you are the only thing in all his creation he said was very good, what's the depth of his love for you? And because of his love, when we receive that, it changes us dramatically. It changes everything. He comes in and wrecks our lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, my life verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. It means that all of the things that you did in your past, if you believe and receive the gift of Jesus Christ and the love that he has for you, 
He could transform you and make you new. The phrase new creation in Greek is metanoia. It means conversion and a complete change. We often think of that change of God uh, giving us Jesus so that he can come into our life and we become a better person. Kind of like a, a little caterpillar goes into a, the cocoon with Jesus and comes out a beautiful butterfly that everyone sees the good things that have changed in their life. But I tell you, that's not what the word metanoia means. It's far more dramatic than that. It's like you were this little caterpillar and you went in the cocoon of Christ and he so radically changed you. You came out a roaring lion. A complete, utter, metaphysical change from the inside out. That when people look at your life and the way it has changed it and wrecked it, they go, what in the world has happened to you? You are a different person. As a 19-year-old frat guy, when I found Christ, some people came and were like, dude, what has happened to you? Why aren't you doing the things that you used to do with us? And I was worried, just like you might be. I, I, I like these people. I don't want them to think bad things about me. But I was like, I don't know. I don't want to do that stuff anymore because I know Jesus and it changed my life. And I, I want you to experience it because his love has changed everything. And I've been through hard things that year. I had witnessed somebody who had attempted suicide. I know what it's like to experience trauma. I mean, we lost a child one day. So I want to tell you that if you're here and you are broken and you are hurting, the love of Jesus is not just for some people. It's for you. It's good news. It brings great joy for all people, even the Magi. I'll close with this. A number of years ago, the first time I preached kind of this concept that Jesus doesn't just want you to, to receive him, that when you receive his love, it radically changes you. It wrecks and ruins your life in a good way. And there was this young uh, 19-year-old girl who came forward and, and she said, you know what? I've been around Christianity. I've known about Jesus, but I've never let him totally take over. I've been at the wheel the whole time, and I'm going to change that. And she fully surrendered her life to the Lordship of Jesus, and she said, now I, I want to get baptized. And we're like, great, you can sign up for that. In about a month or two, we're going to be doing a baptism, and you can be prepared. She's like, no, 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 I want to be baptized right now. They're like, oh, that's a problem. See, back then, uh, we didn't have the nice hot tub that we got today. We had this horse trough. We used to baptize people in freezing cold water. You literally die with Christ and raise again. And, and we were like, we don't have the hours it takes to fill that tank up, so we can't do it. She's like, no, 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 you're not understanding. Jesus just totally wrecked my life. And I got to show my church family that I'm full here. And she said, I, I want to be baptized now. So we went down in the little basement. We found a little plastic tub. We put her inside, and she like got all stitched inside. And then we took another plastic tub. We dumped water all over her head. We baptized her in the parking lot. Sometimes the time is now to stop waiting and say, the stars in the sky, I gotta go, Jesus, I'm fully yours. I wanna give you the opportunity, pray with me. God, I pray for every person right here, for the Christian and the non-Christian right now, Lord Jesus, that we would remember at this season that the hope that you brought is for us. But we have to receive it, God. We have to experience that love. You knitted us together in our mother's womb. You know every hair on our head. You know all of our faults and failures and all the things in our past that we've done, the things that we've said, the things we've said in our head, the things that we've seen, the actions we've done, the things we've ingested, the things we've inhaled. And God, yeah, you love us despite all that stuff. And so right now, Lord Jesus, maybe there is one person in here or many people in here that need to receive your love and say, enough is enough. I'm not waiting anymore. I'm going to stop running away and I'm going to receive your love for me today. And so if that's you in the room, on the count of three, I'm not going to make you do anything else. I just want you to raise your hands and we're going to pray together. That's it. To say, I want to love you back, Jesus, for the way that you love me first. One, Jesus loves you. 
Two, he's agape love is still for you today. Three, he wants you to come home to him. Raise your hand nice and high, and I want to see and celebrate with you. I see the two in the back. Oh, my goodness. The two people over there. Help me out if I'm missing some. Another gentleman over here, a woman down here. Oh, my goodness, the two people over here. And I just thank you. If I missed anybody, I apologize. Put, put your hands down. Jesus, God saw your intentions inside, and that's what really matters. And so I not out loud, just silently, I want you to pray this with me. God, today, Christmas Eve, 2021, I'm going to do the beautiful thing and receive your love for me. Change me from the inside out. Make me the new creation you promised me to believe. I surrender everything in my life to your Lordship, Jesus. I'm fully yours. We love you, God. We thank you for these individuals, and we worship you because of it, just like the Magi. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen, amen.